it's a it's a very very we're we're super super excited because to me uh as a as a car designer and as as more of a i guess you know industrial designer uh this car has been i guess the very first the, the very first uh work that i worked on um that went from zero to one uh all the way to sop exactly the way i hope for in terms of the the visual and the 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 the, the, the technology the experience and and how everything's put together, the material, and the most importantly, um, uh, like I said, super super important is actually the price. Hi everyone, Tu Li here, one half of the China EVs and more duo. Lei and I are always thinking about different ways to bring you, our audience, relevant and compelling content about the China EV, AV, and mobility sectors, especially now that several companies that we've tracked over the last 70 or so episodes have become global phenomenon. China EVs More Max is where we bring you that special content in the form of conversations we have with special guests from those sectors. In this episode, Lei and I speak with Frank Wu, head of design at Jidu, the joint venture smart EV startup formed by Baidu and Geely in March 2021. Jidu recently unveiled the RoboOne concept car, which previews the upcoming production model that'll be unveiled in the fall and start deliveries in the first half of 2023. I had the privilege of being one of the few non-employees to get a sneak peek at the RoboOne when I visited Baidu headquarters recently, and I was quite impressed with the concept vehicle. The design was clean, mature, and the lines flowed well. Jidu likely has a hit on its hands in 2023 if the software-hardware integration and manufacturing teams can execute on the concept's promise. Frank shares his journey from a six-year-old kid having arrived in the U.S. from China all the way to joining Jidu last year as head of design based in Shanghai, where he was originally born. He talks about work culture at Jidu, his experience working at BAIC in Beijing, Cadillac in the U.S., stints with Ford, Honda, and Mazda, and how his artist dad influenced his decision to study transportation and industrial design, which ultimately led him to attend the College of Creative Studies, or CCS, in Detroit, and that kicked off his automotive design career. This is the first time Frank has shared these intimate details of his life journey as an automotive designer. We pick up where part one left off with Frank beginning to tell us about how he was recruited to GDU Auto, his experiences so far, and what we can expect from the production Robo One. Let me ask you this. When you were initially having these conversations with Robin and Joe, did they tell you about this compressed timeline? And how intimidating was that? It wasn't really intimidating, to be honest, because I was literally up for anything. Like, I, I tell you, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but there's a certain point of your life when, when there's something that is so, like, you believe it so much that you just kind of close your eyes and you kind of quickly walk through the timeline and then you quickly put in a few milestones and a few gates and then you realize this is doable. You know what I mean? You know, it's not like I had no idea what the hell I was doing, right? Like, I, like I knew like from zero to do one, how to do it. And then I just need to put together a picture on how to do it in a very efficient way, you know? Because like I said, a lot of times in other companies, a lot of the time is being wasted. 
Yes. A lot of time is being wasted. And, and like, I just make very clear example of just a review itself, right? Sometimes some, somebody says something and then suddenly you're going, you're going back to the drawing board. And then <clears throat> there you go. Three months gone or six months gone. Actually, three months for design, but for the project is actually longer because the engineering team is also delayed, right? Manufacturing team, you know, assembly team is also delayed. So everything gets delayed. So it then becomes like six months or nine months. And you had brought up your, your time at GM, the, the G. PDR, the global product development process, right? And so traditional automakers, years ago, that was a 60-month process, right? And they've done their best to condense it down to four years, right? 48 months, but it's still quite long for them. So just I just wanted to give the audience a bit of a background on what legacies normally take to, uh, to get from zero to one, right? Yeah. So again, you know, I, I'm not going to comment too much on how other people do it. The reason why is because there's so many reasons. Okay. So like, it, it doesn't matter how I say it, there's always going to be someone that's going to be like, oh, uh, you know, I, we need to do it that way because this, this reason, X, Y, Z reason. I'm only going to comment on how we did it. That's all, you know, and how we did it was, like I said, you know, we took like we got the best engineer, you know, the best engineer, the head of engineering guy, uh, you know, we have I would probably say, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it, but I would probably say in the entire automotive industry, probably me as head of design and him as head of engineering, we probably have the best relationship out of any company. I, I mean, out of any company, like you have no idea. You have, I mean, we are so, so close that like anything that like the design wants he will like find all kinds of solution to possibly make that thing happen. And, 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 and I respect him so much because, you know, he's, he's a, he, like, to me, I feel like that is some serious engineering, you know, like, I, I feel like, like, I, so earlier, you know, like what Lay mentioned earlier, you know, like I, I talk about styling and design. So that's my perspective on a little bit of that. And then there's also engineering part. I also have my perspective on that. Like to me, I feel like engineering, there's conservative engineering and innovative engineering, right? Or groundbreaking engineering, right? We hear that a lot. What is the difference? The difference is that conservative engineering is when they always tell you, oh, this cannot be done because this is not the best practice, right? Like we've been doing this for 10 years. We've been doing this for 15 years. That's the way we do it. That's the best practice. That's everything. Why? They have a clear reason. Why? I'm not saying that they don't. Their reason is uh, it's the most reliable solution. It's the safest solution. It's been tested many times. This has to be it. So again, this is from a, to me, a conservative engineering uh, sort of uh, the way they respond to, you know, design. And then there's the groundbreaking engineering. And that's what we do. The groundbreaking, and I'm sure other companies also probably do it too, but that, this is what we do. Groundbreaking engineering is what, is what do we do? We redefine these solutions by re-engineering, repackaging, and we integrate everything to the best possible solution, okay? So instead of having, let's say, three different cameras in three different areas of the car, we integrate into one area and we make it into one piece. And then it can not only be cheaper to manufacture, but it's also much more efficient, it's much more integrated, and it's easier to replace, let's say, right? But what let's say traditional engineering 
they're like, okay, I need a camera on on the the, the left ear and the right ear. When I'm talking about ears, you know, the 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 side mirror, right? And then I I need a, need another camera on the uh, I need another two camera on the roof. I need another lighter on the on the bulge of the the head of the roof, right? And then I need you know your ACC. I need your you know uh, all the other sensors, all of the cars. So, anyways, so what we do is we try to find better solutions that can not only be more integrated and make the design much more fluid and efficient, clean and modern. But at the same time, these new integrated solutions is completely re-engineered for a better performance. Okay. So, so the performance is actually better. So again, I'm not going to comment too specific on what exactly it is because our production car is about to release very soon. Uh, and then we will uh, obviously, as a brand, we'll go over very specifics of uh, of all these things. But I am making some of the key, uh, I guess, design philosophy or, or product manufacturing uh, philosophy here at GDU that we really, really uh, sort of believe in. So, so Frank, let me ask you for our listeners: Can you tell us about the product you launched a few weeks back? Because we haven't, I don't think we've said the name of the actual name of the product that you launched in the metaverse. There's a ton of great coverage globally about it. A lot of excitement for the product. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I was even interviewed for a story that Wired ran about it. So, But I want to hear about the product in the words of the person who drove design for it. So so what happened was, um, Reese, uh, I think uh, it was uh, June 8th. We had a, uh, a uh, an official unveil of the RoboCar, uh, or we call it the RoboOne concept. And it's it's going to be our very first product that's going to be out in the market, and and obviously the production car is going to be unveiled in the in the very near future, in just a few months actually. And obviously, I think Lay earlier also asked a, a very good question. You know, how did we manage to do all that during the lockdown? And that that is the that is the part where this car, you know, we're we're super proud of as an entire company, and and obviously for me and our, our design team uh, is because we we started from pretty much the first day on how uh, this car is going to be able to, I guess, push the boundary uh, of sort of, you know, what what the sort of the, I guess, what we're looking at with the automotive space today. And and specifically what it is, I'm not talking about it has to be something so, so, so radically as in like it's going to fly or if it's going to be, you know, like a robot where it's going to like transform, like, you know, like transformers. But it's more of a, it's more of a product where, for me, it's really a robo cars because we integrated the best technology, we integrated the best possible engineering solution, um, and then the, the 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 most capable AI uh, sort of system. And then obviously, of course, you know, with Apollo, uh, Baidu's Apollo system, the one of the top autonomous driving uh, capability system into our product. And and because working with Baidu, uh, it re- really allowed us to be able to work with their core team from day one to integrate, again, I keep talking about the word integrate, to integrate their solution and system, autonomous driving solution, into this new design that we wanted without making the car look like it's compromised, right? Or things are just like bolted on after the fact, right? Exactly, right? So so I, I'm not going to comment on, on my previous uh, you know, experience because I, I have an experience where working with certain LiDAR, I guess, companies where they're forced, they force you to put it in one space, in one spot. And if you don't put it there, they will not buy off on the safety of that spot. And, and the reason why, there's a reason. I mean, 
the reason why is because as a, as a as a lidar supplier, they they have to calibrate that lidar for the best safest zone for 99 percentile. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, you know, for the 99 percent of all the OEMs that they're going to work with. So then, not every single one is going to come to them and say, "I want it in this spot. I want it in that spot," because then they have to recalibrate, repackage, uh, reposition, repack. Yes. Uh, when I say repackage, like literally repackage the whole thing. And that's all cost and time, and that's just this is not feasible, right? So I can understand. So, and that's one of the big advantage for us is because you know working with Baidu as our you know our our key shareholder, almost like almost like our mother company in a way. But for us, we operate completely independently and solo. Um, is that we can have that resource for them to be able to work in a, like almost like a SWAT team, where the the top guys, top engineers from Jidu and from Apollo. We sit down with the designers, with the product team. And then from the day one, I keep saying this too, like from day one, we say, this is what we want. And then from day one, they go and integrate that location, repackage it, and then calibrate and test it on the road. And then they give us the best possible like location very close to where we want it in order to uh, achieve the best and safest solution for, you know, the, the, obviously the, for, the, for the LiDAR and for the autonomous driving uh, capability. So, so again, so these are just some of the examples. And I, I guess also for RoboCar, you know, with, with RoboOne Concept, you know, it also showcased, um, you know, like we, we mentioned, like 90% of what you see, a lot of them are going to be in production. Um, some of the key areas that we see is, you know, like, for instance, it, it's one of the very, uh, very special uh, feature that we introduce is uh, this robotic interaction. We call it the emotional interaction between the car and the, 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 the user. So today we see a lot of times where the user or the driver can communicate directly with the uh, the AI inside the car, right? So almost a lot of cars like, you know, the, the, the BBA, uh, GM, Ford, and everybody almost have sort of their own AI in the in-car system. But the outside is still, to me, it's still considered sort of like this 1.0 stage. What is 1.0 stage is, is that it's just simply hardware, <laughs> right? It's just simply hardware, just simply there for a either safety or for styling purpose right so safety function or styling so but the function is limited like for instance the lamp uh, the lamp a lot of not everybody but a lot of companies still have you know like let's say halogen light bulbs for the for the entry model the standard models and then what what does halogen light bulb do it just simply you know turn on the light and simply project you know light on the road and have turn signals and, and whatnot so it's a very very hardware sort of um approach because that is the limitation of the actual technology everybody can understand that and then in between you have the the 2.0 which i feel like it's more of a multi-scenario right so multi-scenario is when you have like led right or rgb led right uh, or even like let's say audi and some of the other uh, guys have been playing with is like the oled right but oled the, the manufacturing the cost and the the the, the, the maintenance and the, the life cycle is just is, it's not very very stable uh, the cost is way too high. You know, the life cycle is very, very short. So there's a lot of things to consider. I mean, it looks cool, you know, as a concept car or even for production. But if one of the LED, uh, if one of the OLED, you know, like dies, it pretty much the whole thing dies, right? And then to replace it or repair it, the cost is just very, very high. So, anyways, but that to me is multifunction because you can change color, you can change, you know, like se sequential light, right? Like you know, we see on the Mustang, we see on the Audi, sequential light. What is it? You make the physical static light into something that's animated it's very cool um and then i think it's a it, it's definitely was a trend from i think like you know even 
probably like 10 years ago till today. But for us, we feel like, you know, we want to be able to push the envelope a little bit with more of a, the new sort of technology that we see today is, you know, pixel lighting or interactive pixels, right? But to be able to harness that technology and integrate it together with the, the, the DRL, the low beam, high beam, and the overall interactive pixel, we call it the, the interactive laser pixel together, communicating together with the voice of the car. So the car can actually talk to you. So you literally, so I can give you a very simple scenario where you get, you, you get out of your house, right? The car detects, you know, through your NFC card or your Bluetooth or your, you know, your mobile app and, or your key fob, whatever it might be. And within range, the car will greet you. And then it, it knows that you are the driver, you are the owner. And then it already calculating all the data behind the scene of where you're probably going to go, what time, what time it is, what temperature do you like in the car, what kind of music you like, what do you like to listen to, what kind of seating position that you like, everything. So it literally becomes an intelligent robot that, like I said, when it, when it greets you, it's just one scenario. But you can literally talk to the car. You can say, hey, you know, Robo One, what is the weather? You know, the weather is 87 degrees. You know, it's windy outside today. Did you wear an extra coat? You know, it, like it can literally chat with you in a very human, uh, emotional way. And then when you're, you know, let's say playing music, right, you can have this cool music equalizer on the, on, on the, on the, on the, on, on the face of the car and the back of the car. When the car is in idle mode, when the car is in, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, sleeping mode, when the car is in charging mode, when the car is in pedestrian mode, right? What, what is pedestrian mode? So when, when you're at a stop sign, right? So the car can literally wave the pedestrian to walk by. You know, it can say, you know, you can clear the, the you know, the roads clear. You can walk by. You know, it it can interact with the environment around you, and and this is all going to be in production. So I might be kind of giving a little bit of a teaser here, but we're not doing a concept just to kind of you know have fun, but we're we're creating a concept as in a pre-production version of what the vision of the car is going to be like. Uh, obviously, we we add a little bit of few other fun aspects of the car that's not going to be in the production. You know, I might give you a little bit of uh, a little bit of teaser. You know, for instance, like cer certain things has to do with crash tests, right? We want to have the, uh, our number one priority is have the safest vehicle. That's it. That's our number one, number, number one priority. So it's got to be the safest in terms of the crash, you know, in terms of the interior airbag deployment, it has to be the safest in terms of, you know, the driving performance and of course the autonomous driving capability, right? So the autonomous, the autonomous system has to be obviously the safest that there will be on the road. And one of the part that's going to be in production is, for instance, we're going to add the B pillar into the car, right? So for the concept, for the Rook One concept, we took out the B pillar. The reason why we did it is because it's very hard for the audience to see the space of the interior when there's a B pillar. Sure. Unless you sit inside the car, you know what I mean? So you got to sit inside the car and then you're going to feel the space. Like, I don't know, like a Mercedes S-Class. Then you feel the leg room. You feel, you know, the whole space, right? Or GL8, you know? But when, when you're taking a photo, when people, because you got to understand most of our audience or the potential customers are not going to see the car in person, right? They're going to be in other places around the world or they're going to be other places around China. And that we need to showcase how big the room of the interior is because this car has a three meter wheelbase. It's a very, very long wheelbase. And obviously, with that wheelbase, we can enable a very big interior space with very comfortable seating uh, positions for both the driver and the passenger. And when you put a B pillar in the in the in the photo, uh, it's going to suddenly feel like there's a there's a lost sense of perspective on the sides, right? So for the concept car, we did it, and and again, that's why we call it concept car. It's because we we kind of you know add in a little bit of playful things just to make it fun. But it's it's B pillar it doesn't make or break the car in terms of the design, right? 
It's, it's, it's something that's fun. And then let's say uh, we're going to have, uh, for China, for China models, we're going to have a, uh, a, a, a side view mirror, right? So because the reason why is because right now the digital mirrors are not yet legal on, on the street in China. So if you don't have the side mirrors, you can't literally drive the car on the road unless it has a full right. you know, certification. I think even with that, you still need a side mirror. So because you have to have a driver assist sitting in the driver's seat at, at all times to test the car. But so we have the side mirror and then, oh, and also another teaser is, for instance, the roof camera, we actually got rid of them for the production. So production, the, the reason why we got rid of it is because, you know, Joe came into the studio one day and he was looking at the car and he, he, he really, really loves the car. And then he was like, he was like, Frank, he was like, you were telling me about, you know, like how you, you want to make it super clean, right? You want to make it very timeless, but yet sexy with the, the super ultra sporty proportion with this very robotic face and this high tech uh, integration. But, but why do you have a camera sticking out on the roof? You know? And, and I was like, Joe, I was like, this, this is not from me. Trust me. If I have an option, I would get rid of it in a heartbeat. <laughs> and this is the awesome part about our company. Like Joe's like, so, so who wanted this camera? I mean, I, I'm sure he knew uh, it, it was the autonomous team, right? The, the, autom the autonomous driving team and also our hardware team. And then right on the spot, he called up the head of uh, autonomous driving and the head of hardware and then asked them to come to the studio. He's like, guys, he's like, I want you guys to give me a better position for that because that looks like crap, you know? And then everybody, it, this was crazy because like, this is the part, guys, like I was talking about efficiency. Within two days, the guys was working like, you know, like around the clock just to try to figure out if there's a better solution and boom, right away, we, we, we validated a better, better position. Later on, it was tested. And then we got it, obviously, you know, our senior car in Beijing, and then we tested the, 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 the feasibility. We tested the, the FOV, the corner, the, the, the FOV. Field for of the, view. The field of, the field of view, yeah. And, um, and then we tested the integration of the, the, the camera into the new position, and then what material we're going to use, and then how much the camera is going to be sticking out and, or, or not sticking out, for that matter. And then we quickly made mock-up. We quickly made prototype. We quickly updated into the car, and then they quickly ran it on the CMU car. And then boom, like it was validated, it was done. And then, and then we were able to get rid of sort of this uh, camera sticking out on the roof. Because I'm not going to name exactly what other brands, but as you know, there's a lot of other brands that have these cameras and you know big lidar sticking out on the on the roof of the car. And a lot of times, these PR images are actually quite cheated, to be honest. Yeah, like they will actually <laughs> cheat the PR, the, the 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 commercials to make it like you know seventy percent. Uh, of the actual size, right? Uh, but then when when the production car is actually on the road, when you see the actual camel car testing on the road, you got like a huge LiDAR sticking out on your head. And and that's just kind of, to me, that's quite ugly. So anyways, so these are just some of the, the, the some of the, the the factors, right? And then there's other part, like the, the, the interior. One of the first thing you'll notice when you see the interior of the Robo One is that it's more of like a spaceship cabin or more of like a spaceship intelligent cabin. And some people are like, hey, you know, like, you know, like, let's say like, like some other brands have done it before. Like, let's say Biden. I, I remember I saw Biden, you know, do this big screen in the interior. Trust me, we're not copying anybody. We're not copying Biden. This is all based on human machine interface. This is all based on the UX logic and the user experience. And then a screen display is all based on the user experience of the driver and the passenger. And the reason why we chose to do it like sort of this wide display is because, um, first of all, we, we didn't want to, you know, like a lot of the OEMs you see today is kind of going towards that Tesla route, right? You got that center screen, the iPad on the on the dash. Uh, I remember in the beginning, everybody was bashing Tesla. And then next, you know, everybody's like copying that that layout, right? So it's, it's, it's really funny. Um, 
but but for us, because we're very, very, you know, we're very, very confident and, and we're very, very sort of, uh, you know, um, sort of all in on this, you know, on the, on the, on our capability of autonomous driving and that we believe what, what this, you know, very high level capability of sort of a, a, a Apollo technology embedded into sort of the soul of our car, we no longer need to have the driver solely focus a hundred percent so much into the traditional cluster and the traditional driving sort of, uh, sort of, I guess, experience. And that was the time where we decided, where we realized that we can actually, you know, sort of have a, a leap or more of a, really more of a, a leap or a paradigm shift in terms of how the, the interior can be laid out for the best user experience with the best technology sort of integrated based on the actual capability of the car. And, and having a widescreen is because, first of all, we don't have an ARHD, we don't have an HED. And the reason why is because, first of all, to have an ARHD, you have to carve a huge hole into the top of the IP. Oh, okay. Yeah. A huge hole, right? And 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 the cost of ARHD is not cheap, just to for FYI, just for everybody to know. And then uh, the other one of the big uh, uh, affecting factors to have HED or ARHD is that the exterior glass, the windshield, has to be actually quite stood up and has to be very flat. So you, you, you won't be able to get this very, very sexy curvature of the exterior uh, for the windshield between your, your center line to your A-pillar, right? Um, and then you're going to have this kind of blocky uh, windshield. Um, and, and that's not something that, first of all, that's not something I think any exterior designer will want or interior designer for that matter. But also, we didn't feel like that was the, the key driver for good customer experience with the technology that we had. So we wanted to create I don't know if you know, but we're using Bauer Joe, right? So, so the the Qualcomm, the uh, the Snapdragon, the yeah, 8, yeah the eight two nine five, the 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 next next generation of the Bio Wu, which is the uh, A one fifty five, eight times faster in terms of calculation and overall uh, processing speed, and that allow us to actually use the AI sort of technology and the AI calculation on that chip, along with all the other processing uh, requirements. And also is a huge sort of opening slot or a huge opportunity for us to design a complete new UI UX concept into the Robo One concept car or, or production car actually. Concept car, you see it, you see the demo, but production car literally, it's a full-on 3D immersive UI design. And it's not like today where you see like this, you know, two D cartridge design, right? Sure. The cartridge design you, you've been seeing it for the past like you know five, even ten years to be honest, right? And you see every OEM kind of like take that concept, you know, pretty much take that UI concept and then change the the color a little bit, change the transparency a little bit, change the font a little bit. But overall, in terms of the ideology of it, it's still the same. Uh, but we kind of scrap that and we literally start from from the ground up. And then we, we for our team, we actually recruited video game designers. We recruited <laughs> motion designers. We recruited UI designers, graphic designers, and 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 all bunch of you know very very talented, super talented designers from a lot of different industries. You know, we didn't include just guys from UI. Like, okay, I go to another OEM and and say, hey, would you like to come and work with you? Do no, we actually recruited guys from like Unreal. We we recruited guys from like Unity. We recruited guys from very very prestige you know motion or video game background and they were able to deliver the 3d effect and experience that we wanted because they are working from a complete different perspective and different experience right. 
And and that is something that we want to push let, for. Let me add this, Frank, because it's really important because you're changing habits, you still need to d- design it so that it makes sense and it's simple, right? And Correct. We, we all know that simple design is really, really tough. Correct. And that's the UX part, right? So that's the UX part. So a lot of times I, I think, you know, uh, for, for designers and, and, and I guess for, for everybody, they need to understand the difference between UX and the UI, right? So yeah, please explain that. So the UX part is, is, is pretty much the, 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 the key fundamental of the, 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 the layout of how these functions is going to be in the, in the interior, right? And that's how it's going to define your user experience overall. And that is the ergonomics of it. The, the, the visibility ergonomics, the, the, the actual physical ergonomics, and, 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 and uh, of course, a lot of other things. But, you know, how, for instance, one part is the UX can define, you know, how far your hand is going to, you know, let's say reach in terms of, you know, the, the, reach, the, the reach zone on this display. So you're not going to put important, important information or very important information on the passenger side if it's meant for the driver. Or you're not going to put very important setting information or setting icons on the passenger side, if the driver can't reach to that touching point, right? So, so anyway, so these are part of the the UX part, right? And then the 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 the, the UI uh, the UI part is when all these things are defined, that the the layout, the size, and the actual functions, then the designers can actually have the the space to design the visual of it. Does it does it want to be to two D or does it have to be three D or does it have animation or doesn't have animation? Uh, does it have you know I don't know like anything that has to do with the visual part within the within the boundaries of the UX and and then when you collectively combine them together that's the that's the that's the entire HMI system right so again so for us we started from from ground up to to try to redefine that but keeping the basic logic of ba- the best I guess user experience for UX you know and then also the best user experience for the UI in terms of visual. In terms of sound, in terms of motion, in terms of seeing the, the the right information at the right location at the right time, and then display it very correctly and vividly, those are all the things that we call the corner case that we've studied uh, throughout you know the, the development of the the, the the HMI. So again, so the widescreen display for one matter is because of the the all new UX that uh, the, the the UI and the UX that we we defi- define or redefine, and then we also have a very, very special steering wheel design. We call it the, the sort of the space remote. And then that is really kind of, um, it's a U-shaped steering wheel that we believe that no longer need to obstruct the display in front of you because there's so many displays that are like kind of piece puzzled together, right? There's like three pieces and you see these huge border gaps and then the UI UX or, or the UI design between three displays are all very different. Uh, we want to create a cohesive design, an immersive design that is reliant on the the, the 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 technology of the screen and the actual uh, the I guess the GPU and the processing uh, speed of the actual chip and of course the UI UX all combined and this is also the reason why we don't need an AR HD because we can display all 3D content information at a video game engine sort of a level everything real time I mean based on the camera sensors. LiDAR sensors, everything is all real time. So when the car is in driving mode, you see all the buildings and the people and the road and the pedestrian, everything around you, real time, 3D, all 3D. And then that is something that we think is going to be, you know, we're very proud of it. But And we also think it's going to be a game changer uh, in the next few years in the in the industry. So 
so Frank, um, a few episodes ago, we talked about uh, the, G- the RoboOne and specifically the 10% that will not make it to production. Now, you just confirmed it's going to have a B-pillar. It's going to have side view mirrors. The other ones, the retractable steering wheel, the pop-up, or the collapsible LIDARs, we predict that they will come in different form as well. Can you speak to that? <laughs> I, I think you have a, I think you have a very uh, a very good prediction, and I'm sure within I think uh, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure within the three predictions, I'm sure you're probably going to get one or maybe one or one right at least. Um, okay, I, I, I'm not gonna. Not gonna. I, I, I don't want to spoil too much because that's the fun part, right? I, I mean, and then again, you got to give yeah. me the credit for doing a concept car because sure. I do want people to guess because then you know you lose. No, all right the fun on, part. man. <laughs> but uh, yeah. and then uh, one question on the cadence. Now I know there's a limited edition of the production car that'll be revealed in the fall. Does that mean there's another production version that'll be revealed later? Correct. So let me, I can, I guess I can comment on that. So that's a very good question. So, um, within the next few months, okay, the exact date is yet to be set in, in terms of the official announcement, but we will have a limited edition or we call it a special edition. Uh, the first 1000 units, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, I guess, uh, in the, in the pre-order. And then that special edition is gonna uh, it's gonna showcase or it's gonna consist of the highest trim, obviously the highest trim, in terms of the 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 range, in terms of the 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 autonomous systems and 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 the overall car as an entire whole. And then also it's gonna have uh, some special uh, unique designs uh, that from both exterior and interior that you won't be able to see in the uh, the, the standard models that we will announce later in the Guangzhou Auto Show. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's actually quite. It's actually quite special. It's actually quite special. The price will be announced very soon. Very soon. And then when we do unveil that car, it's first of all, it's fully production, fully production. And when we do unveil that car, there will be a lot more specs going to be unveiled during that event. So Robin Lee, he already mentioned that it's going to be in the two hundred thousand. I'm sure. Range. I'm sure. And you, you'll stick that's, with That's going to be the start. That's going to be the starting price. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Starting price? To, that's going to be the starting price. <laughs> How much did you say starting price? Uh, two, 200,000. Yeah. 200K? It's, it didn't say starting price. Actually, it's, <laughs> it, it says it's above 200,000. It's not starting 200,000. Just want to correct everybody. I'm not sure how that, I'm not sure how I got in, uh, misinterpreted, but it's above 200,000. Okay. And uh, it's going to be, uh, I guess, let's just put it that way. Very, very easy for the audience to understand. It's going to be priced below the Model Y. Okay. Okay. So I guess okay. we don't have to really guess very like good. it's going to be two hundred something or two hundred. This it's going to be cheaper than the Model Y. And uh, and then that I, I I think give you kind of a perspective of, of of the affordability and and the the value uh, for the the bang for the buck that you're going to get. So it's a it's a very very we're we're super super excited because to me. Uh, as a as a car designer and as as more of a I guess you know industrial designer, uh, this car has been I guess the very first the, the very first uh, work that I worked on um, that went from zero to one uh, all the way to SOP exactly the way I hoped for in terms of the the visual and the 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 the, the, the technology the experience and and how everything's put together the material and the most importantly um, uh, like I said. 
super, super important is actually the price. You know, we don't want to design something that's so cool and be like, oh, that's awesome. I love it. How much is it? Oh, wow. It's too expensive. You know, like, you know, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, you know, cause you, you, you have, you know, brands out there that, you know, they might do some interesting stuff. I, I'm not sure if it has the best user experience, but it, it's quite, you know, flashy. Let's just put it that way. And then young people, they, they see at the store, whatever, they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. And how much is it? Oh, it's, uh, you know, 800,000. You know, whatever it is, it's a it's a million, whatever it is. Leif, so Frank's remembering his art center experience, and he's like, "I love this." He's like, "How much does it cost to go here?" You know, you're remembering that experience, right? right? <laughs> no, no, I mean, right? I mean, no, dude, you're, you're absolutely right. It's again to me that's my interpretation of called buyer sort of buyer's purchase point. Like I might, I'm, I might, I might not be professional at describing this, but the way I interpret it is buyer's purchase point is the moment when you know you want to buy it or you you have the desire to buy it, and then there's the factors around it, the uh, there, there's the factors and information that provides to you that you can actually afford it. So that is buyer's purchase point, right? Affordability is so important. Like affordability is like if I make let's say you know three thousand dollars a month, let's say I'm just making a hypothetical an example. If I make three thousand dollars a month, maybe I can afford something that's between three hundred to maybe five hundred on a purchase that I feel like I still have ninety percent or eighty percent of my savings, right? But if I make three thousand a month and I'm spending four thousand or three three even three thousand or even to me even two thousand, that is not affordable because that is way above your 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 income ratio. Where in terms of the long term you're going to go in debt, right? So that's the, the debt ratio concept. And and th- this is exactly what I was talking about with the student loan, right? So you take out, you know, let's say 150,000 uh, student loan and then your annual, you know, you know, your annual interest rate is at 7.75%. Your debt ratio is just going to get higher because your principal is going to roll in, your 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 interest is going to kick in the first year when you take out the loan. So again, that is to me not affordable, but obviously the way you know the reason why many of the students do it is because we have no choice. We we, sure. we have to do it because we got to go to school, right? So that's a whole different that's a whole different topic. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> but what we want to do exactly with with what you're saying too is that from my experience, my my you know some of the struggles and all that. I really as a designer, I seriously I want to create something where people can desire to buy and they can actually afford it. That sure. is something that's super important. You know, and then when you're looking at Tesla Model 3 and Model, uh, Model Y, I think one of the key success to these two products is that, first of all, for, I'm not going to go into too, too much details with it because there's a lot of great things about the products, manufacturing, component feasibility, uh, component strategy, carryover strategy, software and all that integration, all that stuff is a lot of, a lot of uh, positive things and good things to mention about the Model Y and Model 3. But the reason why it's doing so well is because they price it at a very portable, uh, affordable price point. Where Model S and Model X in China is not selling that well anymore is because it's well over a million RMB, right? So your market shrinks. Suddenly your market goes from, you know, like, let's say, I don't know, hypothetically 15,000 on average per month per model, you know, in sales, you go into like, you know, a, a thousand a month or maybe some companies like less than 500 right, a month. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So we want to be able to cater to the mass audience, uh, delivering something that, again, I, what I, Earlier in the beginning, I mentioned about costs. I mentioned about the balance is because those are all reality factors. You know, we we need to consider these things because I want to create something that has great product quality. 
I want to create something that has great engineering and, and, and also deliver the safest car and the, and the safest autonomous driving experience, but yet with great design. You know, I can't say I want, you know, this awesome design, but yet it's defined to human factors or it's completely against the basic ergonomics or, 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 or quality issues or stamping issues or, you know what I mean? Like it's going to cause a lot of manufacturing problems that later on you don't want to see these problems on the road driven by a customer. So these are very important things I think as a designer needs to think about throughout the process when they when they're developing a car, you know, when they're, you know, part part of the the design process. No, I think I think one of the advantages that 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 Jidu has is is having Geely as a manufacturing partner having so much experience across different types of vehicles that they manufacture. So I think that's going to be a big big uh, bonus once you get into Absolutely. production start. But design freeze must be right around the corner, right? Because suppliers need to get tooling out and all that stuff, right? <laughs> so, what do you mean design freeze? You're talking about for for our car? Yeah, for the Robo One, it's got to be pretty soon, right? Like, in order to get the design tooling... freeze is pretty soon for the design freeze is pretty soon for our second car. That's how <laughs> fast we are. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I was like, for, for where, which car are you talking about? Design freeze for Level <laughs> One has been done a long time ago, buddy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, you're slow, but, buddy. <laughs> but 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 uh, you know, because we're going to be unveiling the second car at the Guangzhou Auto Show. Okay. Um, so design freeze is very close because for Guangzhou Auto Show, I'll give you a little bit of a secret. A little bit of a secret. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but we we will be doing a we'll, we will be showing a production design for our second car at the Guangzhou Auto Show. Wow. So it's, it's not it's not a concept car, it's 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 a production design ready um, at the Guangzhou Auto Show. A little bit of a little bit of a teaser here. <laughs> I, I I don't think I told anybody, but I because you know like I think you guys are great and I, I just want to be able to kind of give a little bit of uh insight to not only to you guys but also to to our audience. So uh, that's what I was talking about efficiency. It, it's that if it, it's almost like you know in Chinese there's a saying or uh, right? So what it means is if it's a negative, you know, system or negative environment or whatever it might be, I, you know, it could be anything. It, it can cause more negativity, right? Because, because it's a system, it's, it's like a negative OA, yeah. right? It, it's, it's, it's just, it's yeah. a cycle, negative cycle. That's what, 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 I guess what the translation is. And then there's a positive cycle. The positive cycle is when you, you build the foundation, right? You build a culture right. You build the mindset right. You build the system right. You build the OA right. You you cut out a lot of the the politics. You cut out a lot of the middle, you know, unnecessary things or inefficient, you know, timeline or inefficient reviews or meetings or whatever it might be. Like the meetings, like we have our meetings within, like you know, like I guess mostly within an hour, and then the meeting has to have a, a decision. We don't have wasted meetings, and then before the meetings, everybody have to read the meeting introduction before you even come to the meeting. So let's say Lei is like reading like, you know, like the meetings of what what the next meeting he's going to go to, you know, during the, you know, like the 10 minute or, you know, 30 minute break in his office or whatever it might be. So then when he goes to that meeting, everybody knows what we're going to talk about. Everybody already knows what the problem is going to be. Everybody, there's no questions. There's no like, oh, what are we talking about today? Oh, oh what, uh, uh, can you explain to me the problem? Everybody already knows. This is why I said like it's it's a system of efficiency from zero to one. Everybody working that kind of mindset. So like for design meetings, same thing, right? So when I, when I go to a design review, everybody already have introduced to me what they're going to talk about, and I already check it on my phone or my my Outlook, right? And then I already see all the topics and all the key issues and everything. So when I go there, I'm like, hey guys, 
let's talk about the three most important things. One, two, three, let's go, right? We don't spend, you know, like the first 15 minutes doing like a soft introduction and then, you know, another 10 minutes talking about what the problem is and then another blah, 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 you know, people asking these questions and then, and then later on, nobody has the solution and then you have like an hour meeting or two hour meeting and then there's no, there's no conclusion. Right. So again, I'm just kind of picking out these little examples here and there of what I talk about company efficiency. So with our second car, I mean, it's super efficient. It's even more efficient uh, than the first car. The reason why is because first car we built from scratch and then the team was built from scratch and people come from all over different kind of uh, background environment, different company environments, some from tech company, some from uh, hardware, some from, you know, traditional OEMs and everybody kind of had to go through a phase of friction, right? So that everybody was polishing with each other to essentially get into this new Jidu, uh, the Jidu mode or the, the, or the Jidu work mode or the, the work environment. And then now for the second car, everybody has like, we're all set, we're ready to go. Like, you know, we, we've done it. It's like we've gone through the the, the, the the training like over and over and over and over and over again for, for our first car. And the second car is like, it's natural. <laughs> it's just like, we just do it. It's so easy. So like I said, that just becomes a positive cycle and it just gets better and better and better. Where if you're in a, like a, you know, some sort of a, a very, very big, a very, very big corporate, you know, political kind of environment where there's a lot of levels, a lot of meetings and a lot of decision makings and a lot of vetoes, whatever it might be to push something good and pure from zero all the way to, to the market it, with the original vision and the, the original soul of the actual product is super, super, super hard and do it in a short time. Right. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. You know? So Frank, it's been awesome talking to you for the last two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Wow. <laughs> what we will what we will do is invite you back before or sure. after the Guangzhou Auto Show so you can tell us about product number two, all right, in more detail. <laughs> these these last few questions are just for fun. Okay. So sure. first. Were you a Detroit-style pizza fan? Because in Shanghai, the best Detroit-style pizza is Home Slice, I think, right? So uh, I don't know if you've ever had Home Slice. You're not a big fan? Not Home Slice? Oh, no, 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 no. Home Slice, I'm a big fan. I, I got Home Slice record on my uh, Meituan, like like Home Slice, Home Slice, <laughs> and then Burger King, Home Slice, McDonald's. Bur- I, I, if you look at my track record, it's still mostly American style food. I sometimes I do order dim sum and I order like, you know, like Cantonese uh, style. Yeah. Uh, but, but home slice is awesome. Joe's is pretty good. J- uh, Joe's is like, I, I had a bad experience with Joe's because I went there one day when, when it was quite late and it was the first time I had Joe's pizza. And, and then the, the, the pizza that they, they, they served me was very dry and it was very, uh, you know what I mean? Like dry pizza, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that wasn't the best experience. So, so since then, I never went to Joe. I I kept ordering home slice. But to anybody that is going to visit Shanghai or anybody that hasn't been that lives in Shanghai, you got to visit. I think it was I think it's called Bar Central. Mm. There's a there's a pizza shop called Bar Central right next to Fat Cal. Um. Yep. So so Fat Cal Burger, right? So that place is, is is off the hook. And that place on Sundays they they have buy one get one free. So that's, that's, that's a really, <laughs> so I only go on Sundays cause you know, I get to, I get to buy one, get one free. So as the fat guy that I am, I love buy one, get one free. So, um, <laughs> so, so Frank, the next time you're in Beijing, there is a friend of mine who's, who grew up in Rochester Hills okay. and went to university of Michigan. He lives in Beijing and opened a 
pizza pizza shop called Pie Square, which is okay. Detroit style pizza. Two years ago, he won the pizza cup. Uh, so he he he's a good dude. Although he's a Wolverine, he's a, he's a really good dude. Um, <laughs> but I'll have to take you next time you're in Beijing. Sure. So my sec my second question, and then Lay will ask you one: What were you driving in Detroit, and what do you drive right now? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, how do I put it? Okay, so when I was in Detroit, I uh, did buy my 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 first car. I bought my dream car. I mean, that time it was my dream car. It was the Nissan 350Z. And oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And, and the funny thing, the funny thing was, uh, I I don't even remember if I had my license at that time. I think I had my driver's permit. And then because of that, my dad actually went to Chicago and picked it up for me. I, I remember that very clearly because I bought it on eBay and uh, and then it was a, it was a it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> so I couldn't buy a brand new car, so I, I bought a, a used car uh, on eBay. And then it was my dream car. Nice. So, so he, he you know uh, he drove it back. And then you know when you have your permit, you know you can drive with you know a registered uh, uh, license holder next to you. So I so I drove it yep. for a while, and then later on I got my my licensing uh, in Michigan. So that was my first car, and then later on I drove. I drove a few cars in between. I drove the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the Scion FRS. Okay, yeah, yeah. The FRS. I wasn't wasn't a big fan of FRS because the torque was just really low. I mean, it's a nice you know like a little track car do for turns and all that. But I like it on yeah, the, yeah. I like it on the straightaway with the you know especially on the, you know on the highway and all that. So I quickly got rid of that car and then I and then I ended up getting. Uh, that time later on, I, I that's when I had my daughter, um, and then I had to switch to something a little bit more space friendly, and then I got a uh, the uh, <laughs> the Infinity FX thirty five, and uh, okay, yeah, that yeah, yeah. wasn't bad actually. I, I actually thought it was a very nice like a like a SUV crossover, you know, performance, you know, uh, vehicle. It was it was quite nice. I think it had the same engine as the three fifty Z, you know. So so I uh, had a good time with that, but then. I think one of my most favorite cars, aside from the 350Z, was later on I, I traded in for a brand new Golf GTI. I think it's the, the, the okay. 7th gen GTI. I mean, that car I, I, I absolutely loved, to be honest. That car, I had an emotional bond because it was it, it just drove right. It did the right thing at the right time when I wanted to do it, when I wanted to brake, when I wanted to press when i wanted to go fast when i you know when i want to turn it, it, it and the the, the 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 exhaust pipe sounded you know nice and pristine the radio the i think i think i had marshall radio the radio sounded really nice and then i i had i had a good memory with that car i i love that car i gotta say i love that car and i even bought a uh, a yoda a star wars yoda bobblehead and then i put it on the dash uh, because I thought it was like it, you know, it, was, it was special, you know. So I kind of like that's kind of like a, a, a unconscious kind of thing that people would do is like when you find something special, you will uh, integrate or enhance more special things to you to be a part of it. Personalize it, yeah, right, exactly. Like your home, right? Like if, if you live in a you know like a, a place where you feel like it's really like your home, then you'll buy things to decorate it to make it even more special. And that's what I did with the GTI. And then I was sad to let it go when I was moving to China. Uh, but luckily I think I sold it to a very, a very good owner to take care of it. So yeah. So, so now, now what I drive now, I don't drive anything. Now I don't drive anything. So, so living, living in China for the past, what now it's been four and a half years now, the main transportation, I remember when I was in Beijing, you know, I was living, uh, Shenyu, Shenyu, right? Right. Is it Shenyu? Shenyu. 
Shunyi. Shunyi, yeah. And 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 that time I was taking a subway uh, from Shunyi to uh, Wangjing. And then from Wangjing, transfer the subway to Sanlitun. And then it was like an hour and 15 minutes. And then I had to wait in the subway. And it's just a lot of people. And I, I, this is just me. I mean, everybody's different, but I just don't like to be squeezed by, by a lot of people, you know? <laughs> And and people like sneezing and and you know like just just I I'd rather pay a little bit and just get a DD that's it mm-hmm. you know so anyways and then and then I got a host I got a host DD story for next time but but there's a reason why I don't I don't ride the the, the express I, I only ride the premieres because I I literally like can't handle the express service it's just so bad the guys don't even turn on the AC during the yes. summertime mm-hmm. the winter time they don't turn on the heater I'm like guys seriously. Like, but, but so you pay a little bit more and then you have a much better experience. So guys, so again, you know, this is what I talk about with customer experience, right? So we're willing to pay a little bit, like as a company, we're willing to invest a little bit more money in things that people really care about. And then cohesively as a whole, people will feel it. They will experience it. And then it will create a lot of positive sort of, uh, overall feedback, you know, as a user. And then for me, you know, I'm just talking about the, the, my experience, you know, writing the DD. It, it was, you know, it, the, the, the express was a, was a nightmare. And then later on, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to save that extra, you know, five RMB or extra eight RMB. I'm just going to pay that extra and, and get a premiere. Yeah. And you can also get a free, you know, you see, like I'm drinking the, the premiere bottle, you know? So every time I get a premiere, I just grab a bottle and then, and then, and then, you know, so anyway, so, so yeah, it was, it was good times in Beijing. I actually do miss Beijing. Um, has great, great tacos, the taco bar. Yep. Man, that place is amazing. Yes, but uh, there's a lot, a lot of great things. I, I, to be honest, for me, I I always feel like you gotta appreciate everything about your life, guys. Seriously, like appreciate. I, I appreciate my time when I was in Vegas. I appreciate my time when I was in Glendale, when I was in Santa Monica, w- when I was in D- Detroit. Right. I appreciate the time when I was in Beijing and Shanghai. And who knows? Maybe in the future I might be somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but I I will remember that. You know, like to, uh, Lei was asking about the lockdown. Lockdown was a, a, an experience of a lifetime. You know, like that was no joke. I mean, the first month, it was literally really hard. And and luckily, I think I want to quickly answer your question is like, how, how do we get through all that? It was because, like I said, you know, we, we actually prepped a lot of the, the work and it was done before the lockdown. So we were actually ready to go to Beijing Auto Show, uh, originally scheduled for April 19th, right? Or April 20th. And um, and a Robo Day was originally was supposed to be April, I think it was eighteenth or eighteenth. Yeah, yeah, April eighteenth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I got moved back because everything got moved back. So I mean, the entire the entire big events in Beijing and Shanghai got got suspended. So what happened was that everything was on standby, and then we were prepping for all the Robo Day assets, and uh, the, uh, our entire team, the entire company, everybody was working from home. And then we got another group of team that was working actually uh, at the hotel. So the company actually paid for like the entire hotel. We actually booked the entire hotel. And then like, the, you know, you know, the funny thing is people might be like, you know, is it, is it really just a or something, right? Very, very hard uh, to live at a hotel. Actually, it was a, it was a five-star hotel and a guaranteeing, a guaranteed meal, three meals a day, every single day, and then room cleaning, everything. So I actually regret not staying at the hotel because when I was at home, I, I, I originally thought it was going to be April 1st or April 5th. Five days, right? And then it turned out yeah. to be sixty-five days, right? So, <laughs> so it was a huge, 
huge, huge, huge lockdown that nobody, nobody expected it. So obviously it interrupted a lot of things throughout, but efficiency of the lockdown uh, during the work from home was super high. We were working like, you know, like we were just literally getting everything done, like everything by, uh, you know, uh, by remote. And then the guys were working on the the models, the designs, the the PR stuff, and then everything. And then with the metaverse, right? So with the metaverse uh, unveiled, we thought it was actually, you know, it was quite an interesting sort of an approach because everybody does it uh, offline, you know, on stage with a car and, and all that stuff. And we, you know, we as a technology company, we thought like, you know, it's almost like an you know, like a tech kind of approach where we want to create like a digitalization unveil to kind of create more topics, you know, because I think one of the things about, especially like with the media industry is people like to have new topics and new, new discussions, open for discussion and people talk about what they like and what they didn't like. And our approach and our attitude is we will always listen to the customer's voice and be able to continue to refine and and improve our, our, our ourselves and, and and our product and also the way we uh, do business as a company. So so anyway, so it, it was it was fun. And then luckily, you know, uh, right after the lockdown ended, we had our you know uh, we had our uh, uh, the media friends and and everybody came uh, by by large groups. And the moment they saw the car in person, and I and then too actually, uh, did you see the car in person yet? I have not. I'm I'm wanting to. I'll schedule. I'll schedule you a time to check it out. We we got a car in Beijing. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, man, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll schedule you a time to check it out in, in Beijing because we got the actual. We actually got the purple, the signature color in Beijing. I shipped it Ooh, during the nice. lockdown, and you have no idea how hard it was for me to ship that car. It was like literally like a, like a, like breaking out of a prison. It was it was not easy. You know, like again, I, I was talking about like. As a startup, working from nothing to like to to the to the end result, and also working in in that condition with lockdown, it's like times that by you know three. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm glad we did it. So so what were you you know impressed? There's been a lot of recent reveals. Uh, right after Robo One, there was the Neo ES7, the Li Auto L9. Just today, the ID Arrow. And over the weekend, the um, the Avatar 11, right? All of these new smart EVs. What have been some of the recent reveals that you were impressed with from a design as a designer? I mean, I think the things that I, I'm impressed with might be the things that I look for now today as a designer might be very, very different than I the things that I looked for, you know, five years ago or ten years ago. So I just want to make that clear. Like, there's there's a few things that I I, I am impressed. For instance, like with the with the uh, the I guess with the Liato, I, I I guess not necessarily with the design like the the visual design itself because you know it's it's clean and it's a very spacious interior SUV. But I think the way they brand or the way they did the PR, right? Uh, the way they uh, the way they integrate uh, you know a lot of people, uh, family, kids, you know, uh, pops, mom, and dad into the car and shot the commercial and shot the photos in a very life, lifestyle way. I think that was a very, very good, I guess, good strategic PR approach on, on how they did the online online unveil. But I mean, it was it was actually more offline without any audience. Sure. Is there like very, very new technology? I mean, that I guess you guys have better answer than, than I do, right? But I mean, with the, I think with the Neo ES7, I think uh, it's it's obviously they, they're introducing the, the, the new design DNA based on the ET7 and ET5, right? Clearly, you can see that. 
if you ask me which one do I like better, do I like the ES6 design better? Or do I like the ET7 design better? I would probably say I like the, the ES6. Uh, the reason why is because I feel like it, it has a little bit more content and then it doesn't look so empty. I feel like the ES7 looks a little bit, a little bit empty. Right. Uh, because the, the, the mass volume of the SUV is obviously clearly, you know, higher and is bigger than the sedan because sedan is, is very squeezed, yep. right? So you can have that, I guess they call it the shark nose. You can have that shark nose yep. more, uh, a little bit more well-proportioned. But the moment you make it an SUV, you suddenly take that same, uh, uh, same uh, I guess, language design space. Yeah, and then you stretch it, then suddenly it becomes a little bit, uh, it feels a little bit empty. Right. So, and then in regarding to the, 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 prog- the product segment of the car, I feel like it, you know, it, it's right between ES6 and ES8. And then the actual price point is, uh, I think it's 468,000, yep. I think, somewhere around there. Yep. It's about 100K more than, uh, than the ES6. Yeah. And then, and then it's, and, but, but the thing is, it's, it's, to me, I feel like it's a little bit fighting with the ES8 because the size is quite big enough and then it has better specs. And then obviously it's, you know, it's got the, the latest software. So, I'm not going to comment on their their product strategy, but I do feel like you know it's. I have some questions about what exactly that product really represent in terms of their portfolio. But the design, like I said, you know, it's uh, it it feels a little bit, you know, a little bit too clean. And I think ES6 is a is a very good balance. I think ET ET5 sure, sure. ET5 is a is a good balance for this sort of mid sized sedan because, like I said, proportion is great. The design language fits well on the car. What are the other unveils lately? Like, um, well, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see the ID arrow, which was, uh, which is the ID seven, the Volkswagen. No, I, I haven't seen that t- tonight yet. I, yeah. I haven't so. seen that yet. I, I'm going to check it out later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, I think, I think we're okay with that. The, the, the final question, iPhone or Android? <laughs> iPhone, iPhone. Okay. I, sorry, I had a bad. I, I had a bad experience. Like to me, it's all about experience. If I had a bad first experience, I I, I kind of don't forget because <laughs> nothing sure, no, nothing sure. against Android. Please understand nothing again. It's just I'm just simply speaking from my experience when I bought my first Android. Uh, it happened to be a Samsung Galaxy. I think it was a like a very 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 early generation one, and it was a brand new phone. And then that was the first time I switched my iPhone to a Samsung. And it was running Android. And then that time, and, and again, I'm not talking about today. Today is a completely different story. It's just that the interface felt a little bit too complicated and the battery died so fast that I was just like, <laughs> you know, I think I'm just going to go back to iPhone forever. So Sure, sure. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a diehard iPhone fan. Yeah. That's the key though, right? Because it could have been the Samsung device that was the issue with the battery but the entire user experience wasn't great for you and that's why you left the platform right so i think exactly exactly and that's how that's how future you know i think smart cars or, or, or ev vehicles uh, or just in the vehicle industry it's going to be same thing right you're going to have a you're going to have a great design yep. but then maybe the, the the battery range is very low right or you have a very high battery range you have very good driving you know capability but the design is very bad i mean that's why when i mentioned earlier it's a it's a collective of everything as a as a great product it's not just the design it's not just the styling it's it's like you you create a cool light right but the light you know you got to have very good led source you got to have very good quality of the lighting um and and like led what kind of led is it going to be this micro led large leds 
how far they're going to be placed apart. They're going to be placed apart 19, 20 millimeters, 19 or 20 millimeters apart. Are they going to be placed, you know, let's say 12 millimeters apart? Because these decisions made by the R&D team is going to change the quality of the actual visual of the lighting when it's on the road, right? So all these are a customer experience that people can see and they can feel it. Audio, right? What kind of audio are you going to use? Is it going to be 3D audio? Is it going to be, you know, how many bays, how many, you know, like how many, how many audio uh, that we're going to be using? Some cars use 32 audio, some cars use 16, some cars use 8. So all these are decisions that people will respond to. Material, same thing, you know, is it going to be leather? Is it going to be PU? Is it going to be suede or is it going to be plastic, right? Even something as, as detailed as gloss black, there's different finishes of gloss black. There's painted gloss black. There's two, two coat gloss black. There's, there's the, uh, what, what is that called? There, there's another finish. Anyways, it, it looks like gloss black, but it's, it's like more expensive than gloss black. Like a pearl? Yeah. No, no, no. It's, uh, uh, there's, a, I forgot the name, but anyways, there's another technical name for it, but it, it's gloss black, but it's more scratch resistant. All these are costs, right? They, they cost more. So are some of the OEMs, and I, I, I've seen all kinds of cases where some of the OEM, the project leader, they're like, gloss black, give me the cheapest one. They all look the same to me. To me, I feel like that's a very irresponsible statement. You know, it's a super irresponsible statement because gloss black, there's different coatings, there, there's different finishes. The better ones, the more expensive ones, they're more scratch resistant. And then throughout the long term, yes. people will appreciate that quality. So anyways, and then they're, they're, they're more less prone to the visual of the fingerprints, right? You know, because on gloss black, you know, you touch it and suddenly there's like fingerprints all over the place. But then there's sure, sure. special coatings, there's different type of finishes. So again, you know, to me, I feel like to design something that's really, really good for the best customer experience, you have to not just look from a, a design visual or or or, or, or just the, the simple material, but on a deeper level of how the technicality or the technology can enable that design to be as great as possible. That's the way, you know, we, right. we, we look at it. Yeah. Okay. So, Hey, Frank, thanks again for chatting with us. We're big fans of GDU. I I'm looking forward to touching, feeling, hopefully driving the, the Robo one very soon. And when it hits the road in 2023, we'll be keeping a close eye on your progress. So please stop by again. We're going to invite you again back for the Guangzhou auto show. Yeah. Super excited. Thanks a lot, you know, for having me. And, and I think uh, it turned out way more fun than we expected. <laughs> Hi, this is your co-host, Lei Xing. Following a rather detailed recollection of his life journey and how he ultimately ended up being a Jidu in part one, Frank takes us into the world of design at Jidu in part two and offers vivid examples of his design philosophy, features of the Robo One, as well as internal processes of how design is interconnected with other stakeholders within and outside the company. Like Frank said, it was way more fun than we expected, and it was certainly way more detailed than we expected. But I guess being a designer, his detail-oriented nature shouldn't be all that surprising, after all. Both Tu and I learned a ton listening to Frank, and we hope you, our listeners, found his perspectives valuable as well. We wish Frank and Jidu the best of luck as the company embarks on its next stage of development and look forward to the Robo One hitting the streets next year. 
Leigh and I will be sharing more of our conversations with the men and women around the world, moving the EV, AV, and mobility sectors forward as part of this China EVs and More Max series. Some folks will be instantly recognizable, but some will just be people that are doing amazing things in the space that we think deserve to be highlighted. Don't worry, though. Leigh and I will continue to host our live weekly China EVs and More Twitter Spaces room that summarizes that week's most important news coming out of the China EV, AV, and mobility space. For those that can't catch the live show, you can find the China EVs and More pod on all major platforms or wherever you normally get your podcasts. As EV adoption reaches its global tipping point, it'll be even more important to stay updated on everything that's happening here. Lei and I are confident that China EVs and More is the best resource to do that. Until next time, as always, thanks for listening.